after decades of leadership by the Liberal Democratic Party, a new party with a much more Christian conservative agenda has taken the helm of politics in Poland. The Law and Justice Party, headed by President Andrzej Duda, then new Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki, and led by their leader Jarosław Kaczyński, has grabbed international headlines with their recreationizing rhetoric. Today, we'll talk you through some of these reforms and their polarizing nature, and take you to the streets of Poland, where the citizens have held many protests, and also try to dig deeper to uncover the complex nature of the political system in Poland. Welcome to the Old Continent! My name is Gabriela Nikita, and today on the show we're joined by Barbara Erling. Hi. Together we will try to navigate through the poker game that Polish politics has become today and what is actually happening on the ground. It's great to have you here, Basha. Thank you. I'm happy to be here today to talk about my country. So let's step back a bit at first and have some background, starting from the spring of 2015. Is that right? Yeah, the currently ruling party Law and Justice, or I will use the abbreviation PiS, was elected on the 25th of October 2015. The parliamentary elections were quite surprising as the Law and Justice leader, Jarosław Kaczyński, chose Beata Szydło to be the PiS choice for prime minister. That was a tactical move because it refreshed the party's image and brought more voters. One of the public opinion polls before elections in 2015 showed that polls do not trust Jarosław Kaczyński, who was supposed to become potential prime minister. However, he chose not to run in the elections as a prime minister, so the people would vote for peace. He learned the lesson well and pocketed his pride, which resulted in peace victory. Now it is said he is a great eminence who rules Poland under the cover of Polish President Andrzej Duda, former Prime Minister Beata Szydło and the new Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki. And there was a radical change in the party's agendas as well. The main argument of the Law and Justice Party was that Poland is actually financially capable of investing in social welfare, quite the opposite of what their counterparts were saying since the financial crisis of 2009. Poland is actually seen as the fastest-growing country of post-Soviet bloc. Its GDP per capita rate grew from nearly $2,000 in 1990s to more than $12,000 in 2016. But how come the current ruling party decided to change the direction of the government? I think the main difference is made by the rhetoric peace is using. Post wanted a change after eight years of being ruled by civic platform. They wanted something new and then peace met their expectations. Program 500 plus is said to be a flagship program of campaign promises. This is a monthly social support, a 500 zloty, which is 125 euros for each second, third and the next child in the family. This was a great idea to gain more votes. At the same time, peace was using the rhetoric of standing up from the knees, which means that we, Poles, need more independence in the structures of European Union, that the EU cannot tell us what we're supposed to do, especially when it came to the issue of immigration. It seems like immigration policy is quite a sensitive topic here, despite of the long way Poland went since joining the EU. The strangest thing is that in the liberal worldview, as I imagine, the more people travel, engage into an international conversation and experiences, the more open they should become for foreigners moving to their country. However, it's not the case for Poland. Is that right? 
Yeah, that's true. In 13 years since we have joined the European Union, millions of Poles have traveled to work and study abroad. They have business deals across the Western Europe. They have had the opportunity to connect with people of many backgrounds. But this was not enough to change the Polish perspective towards international moving to our homeland. A survey by Pew Research Center in 2016 showed that as little as 14% of Poles thought that having an increasing number of foreigners in their country makes it a better place to live. In comparison, 26% of Germans and 36% of Swedes were in favor of more internationals. And on the opposite side, 40% said that the multicultural Poland would become a worse place to live. In my opinion, it is only because of the stereotypes that are rooted in Polish mindsets. That is also a psychological issue that people are worried about the things that they are not familiar with. However, the refugee crisis ignited a misperception of the reality and this lit the flame of anti-immigration moods among Polish people. But emotions run high not only when it comes to immigrants, but also regarding judicial and social reforms. That's right. The government seems to ensure a rather interesting life for its citizens. Well, some find their action kind of similar to more authoritarian rather than patriotic. State control of the public sector is growing. There is discussion about the law that restrains judicial independence. And of course, discussion about an abortion law which brought tens of thousands of women to the streets on October 2016 for the first time. Old Continent reporter Claire McLaughlin takes us to the streets of Poland to find out more about these protests. During the fall of 2016, Poland experienced a grassroots revolution, the first of its kind in many years. It was driven mostly by women voicing their outrage about new laws concerning their reproductive rights. Tens of thousands of women across the major Polish cities wore black and took to the streets to protest new abortion and in vitro fertilization laws, which at that time were being debated in Parliament. The media dubbed the protests the black protests. Similar demonstrations also broke out in other European cities like Dublin, Paris, and Berlin, where demonstrators stood in solidarity with the Polish citizens. To get a better sense of the situation and its significance in Polish politics, I spoke with the Polish journalist Kaja Pudo, who participated in the protests. The bill was proposed by a very far-right Catholic fanatic organization called Ordo Iuris. Mm. Um, and government was somehow scratched between a uh, liberal part of the population and the right-wing uh, right-wing part of their party, uh, if you can understand what I mean. Sure. I mean, they also have some divisions. Right. And the, um, the radical Catholic part insisted on banning abortion at all. I mean, in all cases. But before we go further, I just want to mention quickly that Poland already had extremely strict abortion laws to begin with. Abortions were completely illegal except in the cases where the mother's life was in danger, the fetus's life was in danger, or in the case of rape or incest, which first had to be confirmed by a prosecutor. The new laws carried longer jail sentences for women who get an abortion and the doctors who perform them. They also called for stricter control over which cases are deemed worthy of abortions. In addition, the government hoped to introduce new laws regarding IVF, or in vitro fertilization, which would only allow one embryo to be fertilized at a time and would ban the practice of freezing embryos. 
While these new laws have received support from government officials, polls show that the majority of Polish citizens are against stricter abortion regulations. A poll conducted by Ipsos showed that only 11% of the population agreed with their government in cracking down on IVF and abortion statutes. The protesters marched to show the government they disliked the new laws, but as Kaya explains, even the protesters themselves were divided on abortion. And that's why those protests were so big, so huge. Uh, because there was some kind of consensus. Okay, some of us, we are for uh, for abortion for everyone, and some of us, we just don't want to uh, to um, in, introduce this total ban uh, mm-hmm. in Poland. I think it's important to note that these new laws could lead to higher maternal mortality rates as women desperate for help try to abort fetuses in unsafe or risky ways. Kaya mentioned how difficult it is in Poland right now to obtain a legal abortion, even with the correct paperwork that doctors could deny help or wait until the fetus is too big to abort, and how law enforcement makes it difficult to claim rape or incest. There is a dimension of classism to the situation. And it's also a class problem. I mean, I uh, I live in the big city, Mm -hmm. and I know what I can do if I want to do an abortion. I mean, uh, that I can go to another country or where where I can buy pills. But in many cases, it doesn't work like that. Despite the support from lawmakers, the black protests accomplished their goal and the new abortion bill collapsed. However, the government continues to propose new abortion bills. In mid-January of 2018, the Polish women's strike organized and executed demonstrations in over 50 cities. In fact, Kaya says that the protests have become a symbol of change, not just in legislation, but in Polish politics as a whole. Uh, It somehow uh, became... Uh, a platform for leftist women to be involved in politics. And, in, and it's not only about abortion. In general, all the issues connected to, to women's rights. Also, it, It's not only about the women, you know? Exactly. Just, it, it was so powerful and so huge that it somehow became a platform for all leftist-minded people. Yeah. I asked Kaya if she thinks the proposed legislation will pass. I hope they will not pass it, because as I told you, uh, even the right-wing government is somehow divided in this case. Yeah. They really know this opinion poll that you quoted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, their uh, people, they know, that, they know that their voters actually oppose yeah. uh, the total ban on abortion. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I think they will not do it. Regardless of what the outcome of legislation will be, it's clear that the Polish people, and Polish women in particular, have found their voice and will continue to become more active in their government. It's really amazing, I mean, how the very particular case, I mean, the case of, of law on abortion, became some kind of platform for women to uh, be more involved in politics in general. Just like Kaya said, Polish women were finally heard, but this happened only once. There is still a long way to go for their rights in this particular case. It seems like the government is keeping its ground no matter what, even with the public out there in the streets. There are actually more power players behind the government. While some figures are in front, the real decisions are being made behind the curtains. The Old Continent reporter Nathan Gallo looks into the nature of these backstage games. As Basha and Claire already pointed out, 
the protests not only featured the division between liberal parts of Polish society and the conservative government, but they also shed light on the influence of few main characters. These actors are strongly influenced by Catholic ideology. I'm talking about the leader of peace, Jaroslav Kaczynski, the newly posted Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki, and one influential priest, Tadeusz Ritzik. Let's first focus on Jaroslav Kaczynski, the chairman of the peace, the Law and Justice Party. Since 2015, Poland has been governed by this very conservative and populist organization. But what is the role of Kaczynski in these very conservative policies? How come this character, who has no official function, can be widely seen as the current ruler of Poland? And why does it seem that since the peace has been running the country, the Polish state has been in bed with the Catholic Church? To answer these questions, we have interviewed the Polish philosopher Tadeusz Bartos, an ex-Dominican he decided to leave the church institutions as he couldn't bear any more its lack of openness and autocriticism. Very critical towards the blur boundaries between the church and the Polish state, he also cannot stand the populist attitude of Kaczynski and the members of the peace. He don't care what people say. Donald Trump don't care what people say. He's doing this similar way of doing things that we have now with uh, this Kaczynski party. But, above all, his attitude towards the Polish institutions has raised many concerns among Polish intellectuals. Uh, uh, Kaczynski, and uh, they, they have done some uh, controversial things concerning constitutional court in Poland, and they are breaking law, maybe constitutional law and things like this. So they do not respect uh, some legal Among these controversial policies, one might also describe the general policies for return to Catholic morale. Indeed, the peace has historically been strongly linked with the Polish Church. Kaczynski has always promoted his vision of a Catholic and conservative Poland led by moral religious values. Yet, the arrival of Mateusz Morawiecki as a prime minister last November had raised hope for more moderate policy. Indeed, Morawiecki, a former banker, was depicted as a young center-right politician, able to reorientate Polish politics to a more liberal direction. Though, for his first official interview, which was aired on the Catholic radio station Radio Maria, he pressed Poland to play an active role in, quote, re-Christianizing Europe, end quote. To Bartos, this was a move to express his affiliation to the church institutions. Uh, if, and this was organized like this, and uh, Morawiecki said he wanted to re-Christianize Europe to, you know, to be accepted by this strong Catholic uh, wing in Poland, to be accepted by Radio Maria so that Prime Minister was not rejected in this organism, complicated organism of propaganda. Radio Maria. This Catholic radio station has been denounced for years as a propaganda and influential tool in the hands of his owner, Tadeusz Ritzik. How to define Tadeusz Ritzik? As a redemptionist priest? As a media owner? A businessman earning large amounts of money through his foundation, Lux Veritatis? 
also as a very close ally of the peace or Kaczynski. Being all of this in the same time, Ritzik is widely seen as the most influential character of the Polish church. Strongly criticized for his anti-Semitic positions and his nationalism professed in public or into Radio Maria programs, Ritzik has even faced the anger of the Vatican. In 2006, Vatican representatives denounced, quote, some radio programs and stances of Radio Maria, end quote. Furthermore, they asked the Polish church to solve what they called the painful case. Still, since 1991, and without interruption, Radio Maria has been active and has penetrated into Polish political networks. There are some important uh, figures of uh, law and justice, politicians closely related to the uh, Radio Maria. There is a pressure of bishops to change the law concerning abortion. To Bartos, Radio Maria is an influential actor who can help determine the outcome of Polish elections. If you win 30%, you cannot have an, a government without any coalition. If you have 40%, you can have a government without any coalition, like now, peace or something. And Radio Maria gives, uh, they give to law and justice, to this party, about 10%. You know the difference between 30 and 40. This is this 10%. You will win or lose. Without Radio Maria, you will lose. Yet, this supposition is to be nuanced. Even if Radio Maria is still influential, the studies point out that the radio has a maximum of 2 to 2.5% of regular listeners, which represents about 1 million people. But at the same time, Let's recall that Morat Vietzky's first official interview was aired on this radio. So, even if the listening figures are not that high, conservative politicians still favor this influential radio. But what does the Polish church itself think about Ridzik and Radio Maria? We have interviewed Wojciech Sadlon, priest and doctor in sociology, officing in Warsaw. Grateful to this radio that accompanied him to his religious education, he thinks that a lot of people have reached faith thanks to Radio Maria. He considers that Ritzik has been doing with this radio a work of what he calls religious social activization. There were a lot of people in Poland who found themselves a little bit lost in our uh, history, in, 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 I mean in our transformation period in, in Poland, in nine, especially in the 90s. So it means that there are a lot of people who, uh, who are not so rich, uh, a lot of people who, uh, who found this uh, uh, liberal politics or the liberal uh, way of thinking uh, not familiar for them. And they were looking for some kind of more conservative, more uh, traditional and also more Catholic way of thinking and way of perceiving uh, the rea social reality. And uh, uh, Radio Maria was able to create some kind of community from these people. To him, this shift is understandable, since on a cultural basis, being Polish means being Catholic. Identity of Polish Catholicism is a str strict link to Polish identity. So being Paul, 
means also being Catholic. When questioned about his local engagement, priest Wojciech Sadlan rejects any political intention in his action. He says that priests are focused on spirituality. But at a state level, he admits the role of the church in Polish politics. Catholicism in Poland is engaged in politics through morality, through moral issues, through moral agenda, I would say. So everything what concerns bioethics, abortion, uh, in vitro fertilization, euthanasia, and so on. However, is the political influence of the church really new? Not at all, according to philosopher Tateusz Bartos. To him, these current events have only enlightened a situation that has been slowly developing from the beginning of the 1990s and the collapse of the Soviet Union. From the beginning, the status of the Catholic Church is not regular, is not well established. Uh, they are like in a state inside the state. They have privileges and they have easy access to the government. To him, each government in the past decades has bent the knee in front of the church. Even the Polish politician Donald Tusk, who is now president of the European Council. Seen as a liberal and a leader of the movement's civic platform, he has been running the government from 2007 to 2014. However, as pointed out by Tadeusz Bartos, he had never acted in favor of the abortion law, which was already one of the strictest in the world. Donald Tusk was against the changes of the, of the law. And this law, as you mentioned, is a restrictive one. That's why it's not easy to say that Donald Tusk was a liberal. It, he was not, maybe personally, but his party... Platforma Obywatelska, it is not a liberal party. The civic platform of Donald Tusk and the Law and Justice Party of Kaczynski are the two main parties in Poland. But if these two political organizations don't preach for the same ways of governing, does their position towards the church really differ? Platforma Obywatelska and Peace and Justice, they are from this, uh, uh, you know, all this uh, ideological point of view. They are, in the majority, they are right-wing and they are conservative in a Catholic way. And Catholic conservatives means that law should be accepted by the church. It seems that the Polish church can sleep soundly. The real structural and constitutional reforms are not for tomorrow. So, with this complex web of religion and politics, where do you think the situation is heading, Basha? Well, to have a professional take on it, we spoke with Drew Hinshaw from the Wall Street Journal. He thinks Morawiecki is a different kind of leader who is trying to change Europe's perspective of Poland. I think Morawiecki made it very clear that uh, he thinks what law and justice is doing, what his party is doing, is, is good and is right, and it's something like a revolution that should have happened 30 years ago. And he's not going to back down on it. And his role is just to explain it better. You know, he speaks fluent English. His predecessor didn't. He, um, you know, he's a former banker. He thinks he can sell law and justice's ideas across Europe better. I'm not convinced he will, but we'll see. 
There is also a dimension of international politics to the situation. We see these trends in many places across the world, says Hinshaw. I think there is clearly a reworking of what a democracy here looks like. And they're clearly getting ideas from Hungary. Hungary is clearly getting ideas from Turkey and, and Singapore and elsewhere. And they're saying, you know, look at the great Western democracies. Their economies have been stagnant for the past 10 years. They're struggling with problems like terrorism what, or what have you. This is their argument, not mine. Um, and they're saying we want to do, we want to rebuild a democracy that is really a lot more top-down, where the party who gets in gets to do what they want. They don't have to fiddle with checks and balances. You know, the people elected us. People want change. If the court or the whoever else doesn't want us to bring that change, we're going to, you know, fire the court because we have the backing of the people. This is their argument. I think Poland's going in that direction very sharply. Um, and I don't know what would, would snap it out right now. It seems like Poland has a long and interesting road ahead. Yeah, with neighbors and European Union closely watching and analyzing every step. And so this concludes our episode. Thank you for tuning in to the fourth episode of the Old Continent podcast created by the Planet Mundus team. Next time, we will be exploring the white landscapes of Finland, where patriotic feelings are spiking as we speak. Until then, make sure to like our Facebook page and check out our previous episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud or Planet Mundus website. That being said, thank you and see you on the next episode.